Hello and welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker and on today's show I'm talking to Senior Station Officer Adrian Devonish from the Country Fire Authority. In this interview, Adrian reflects on the 2011 fire at Tritic Lubricants, the importance of establishing an emergency management team and his thoughts on emergency medical response. Senior Station Officer Adrian Devonish, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast. Thank you, Stu. Adrian, you began your career as a teacher. What made you decide to become a firefighter? I think it was after a few years of uh, teaching in the secondary environment and then moving from there into uh, private industry, working with predominantly youth uh, in the inner city area, um, doing what we, what's known as vocational training, assisting them to get work. Uh, I was given something a bit more, so... Starting out as a volunteer, um, didn't know anything about the fire service in the, in that time. Just talking to some uh, staff from a local station uh, that uh, about the variety of work, um, the career prospects, uh, and and what the job entailed. And I thought, well, that's something I'd be interested in doing. I think it sort of molded a bit of my ability to deal with people, uh, work with people, um, had a practical. Um, a passion for practical application that wasn't met in new services. So I thought this was somewhere I wanted to head. And have you found that your teaching background has been a benefit to the firefighting career? Oh, look, I'd like to say yes, but that's for others to judge. So I think it's given me the ability to assist with developing others. And I won't, I wouldn't say it's teaching in the fire service. I'd I would align it more to um, fostering the development and, and uh, empowering others to be able to develop themselves with some guidance. You're stationed now in Dandenong, Victoria, Australia. Yep. So can you describe the suburb you work in and, and the, I guess the, the types of risks that exist in Dandenong? Yeah. Look, I say diverse is an understatement, but every station, everyone in the fire service say, oh, my station's diverse. We're diverse area. But Dandenong, you're looking at it prominently Sixty percent of industry within within Melbourne reside in uh, the south to southeastern area of Dandenong. Uh, we have a huge population of um, uh, non English speaking or English as second language um, residents uh, from from all over. I mean, it, it traditionally it was a lot of a lot of Chinese in the area. Now there's uh, um, Eastern Europeans, um, Sudanese, uh, a lot of Middle Eastern uh, um, culture in here now, and as well as the older part of Dandenong in the north, um, a residential area. So it's a mix of residential industry, uh, high density living now, up to seven stories in the in the inner part of uh, Melbourne with uh, sorry, in part of Dandenong, uh, with um, some some really high density living going into the old what they called the sale cattle yards years ago. Yeah. And that's sort of all been redeveloped in the last 15 years since has, you've been here. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. They've got rid of the old sale yards and now it's all, yeah, I guess, one, two, three bedroom units all throughout that area. Yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah, and also high-rise here in Daniel. High-rise, yeah, and a lot of, um, I suppose, what we call uh, council or uh, ministry of housing type accommodation as well. And you've got your fair share as well of the major hazard facilities. Yeah, in this correct. Area. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, L gas, BOC, um, super gas, and also ringing Dandenong would be some of the major freeways that the state has. Yeah, 
Freeways, Eastlink, uh, South Eastern Freeway, Princess Highway is a major thoroughfare. We just have a heavy traffic flow through through all the areas. Um, a very heavy train line for um, you know both both passengers and goods and the like. Yeah. Uh, a lot of road transport. So pretty diverse, Dandenong. Very diverse. Yeah. yeah. Great place to work. Just to context the station of Dandenong, how many people work at Dandenong Fire Station and what is the makeup of the appliances that you run out of here? Yeah, currently we've got the minimum crewing here is uh, 11, um, earmarked to be 12 within the next uh, couple of months. The makeup of appliances, we have two primary appliances, um, our heavy pumpers. We have a heavy rescue appliance, a ladder platform appliance, uh, which are all, all crewed. Uh, as well as that, we always juggle, additionally juggle crewing for uh, rescue support appliance for specialist tech rescue and uh, rope rescue and the like, as well as a, uh, a tanker. Yeah. Lots of lots of trucks and lots of people to juggle. Lots of people, lots of gear. So I suppose with the core of eleven per shift with with relievers and and the like, and uh, what we call above strengths uh, or additional uh, new recruits, we'd probably house up to sixty people stationed at Dandenong. Now, Adrian, what I really wanted to talk to you about today was the fire at Tritech Lubricants. It was a while ago now, the nineteenth of May two thousand eleven. You were the instant controller at Tritech Lubricants Fire. Yeah. Uh, this fire involved a large quantity of oil products, including engine and transmission oils for domestic and industrial markets, and were stored. All these things were stored on the premises. Correct. Yep. There's some excellent video of this fire online, and I'll show those in the show notes. What were your thoughts when you first arrived on scene at this fire? Uh, look, I'll, I'll just clarify one thing. Yes, yeah. I, I was the incident controller in the initial. Uh, stages of it, but as it progressed to a level two incident, as you know, under AIMS, or four, my role then fell in, uh, into the ops officer role. Uh, so for for a large portion of it, I was the operations officer underneath an incident controller. Well, the initial thoughts were that on um, on initial response, we we're not going to be able to deal with it, and we need more equipment quick. Um, I suppose quick is is underestimated, but. Uh, Look as quick as we can get some equipment. We needed we needed more there, and it, when it wasn't just a matter of just asking for everything in the district to come. We had to be pretty strategic about what we requested and um, when they were staged and the like, because it was otherwise we just it would get too messy too quick. So we needed time to complete our size up, um, come up with a bit of a plan, sectorise, and work out exactly what we needed, where, and when, and how. And when I said we, because it was myself and um, the team that I worked with, because it's not just one person's job, it was everyone pitched in to, to get this get this nailed. From reading the report on Tritech Lubricants, yep. the other compounding factor was that the initial information that came in on this call uh, didn't give a really good location because no. the initial caller didn't actually know where they were. Correct. And so we yep. had some resources going to... Uh, one location, and then your crew arrived at, at uh, the actual location oh, okay. where the yeah, fire it, was. It actually came in as two two separate jobs, if you like, or two yeah. separate incidents, and that's, that's part of the problem with this heavy industrial area to the south of Dandenong. It's a fairly uh, residentially sparse, residential sparse uh, area of Dandenong, and at that time of the evening, I think it came in at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the evening, you, you don't get too many people travelling through those streets. So this fire was able to develop, and I'll hazard a guess to maybe say, you know, it might have started at, uh, you know, 6.30 in the evening, uh, was allowed to develop for an hour before someone had noticed it. 
So by that time, it had really taken hold of the front office portion of the complex, and there was an office portion attached to a, a warehouse manufacturing area. So the original caller had it picked it as uh, Williams Street as mm-hmm. opposed to Williams Avenue, for example, yeah. um, and thought he might have been in Hampton Park, whereas actually in Dandong South. So there was a lot of you know speculation as to why it was incorrect, but I suppose the CAD operators or the AAA operators can only deal with the information they've been given. So from a caller saying is Williams Street, Hampton Park, that was the initial call. Uh, then it was clarified to be Williams Avenue, Dandong South. You can't discount the first job. So there was um, four or five separate appliances going to two different addresses. By the time we got there at the this actual address, it, it fairly it had taken hold of the, the front portion, and all all that remained remained fairly much was the steel frame of the office uh, portion of the complex. Every incident needs a plan. Can you talk us through your size up of this particular fire? Yeah, it was a fairly large uh, warehouse. So I'm just recollecting now it might have been 60 metres wide by 100 metres deep, um, even if it, if not a bit bit larger. Uh, it took a bit to get around to have a look at the whole place. Our access was restricted because it was at well past closing time and the fence secured with you know, chains and like, which we, of course, were forced entry to. So by the time we got got through um, and started uh, the, the initial, I suppose, taskings of just trying to contain the uh, contain the fire of the front portion of the factory through a portion of the roller door that we cut open or a given way, um, while myself and one of my colleagues did a continued my size up around the back uh, to work out what was happening. Um, then it was more about setting in a, a, our objective of containing it to the front portion of the, of the warehouse, and which was made very difficult due to access uh, to the rear and the fact that risk assessment told us it was it was an unsafe thing to do to, to get in the back of it. I guess all of our strategic priorities are based on recio. Mm-hmm. So how did you apply recio to this particular well, incident? Mate, well, Stuart, I did make some assumptions, which I, which I would... Um, Stand firm and say we should never make. But given that the place is well secured, uh, well locked up, the gate was shut with a padlock across it. I'm, I'm you know, ninety percent of the way discounting that that rescue component. Uh, the fact that the front portion, which was the office, had been totally destroyed, there was um, nothing left there, and it just started to sneak into the warehouse uh, type environment. Near but ruled out that rescue was an issue, so it was more about then looking looking at the exposures, which were fortunately on once on the east side was a block that just housed um, uh, some machinery for an earthworks, which we were able to protect fairly well. And on the west side was a couple of factoryettes uh, with uh, tilt slab constructed type walls. Um, it was more about keeping those those walls cool and and protecting those those factories those businesses once the fire developed. Yeah. But and the so- containing was was a difficult one. Challenge was on the east side because the east side of the Tritech yard, there were oil storage vessels which would were, were housed in excess of fifteen thousand liters of, well, I assume crude oil because it was it was an oils additive. It was an oils additive uh, business which made. Um, Oil additives for the automotive industry. So, if you want, to, if you had a vehicle which you wanted, you know, some 
supercharged high tech oil and lubricant lubricant, you'd uh, you'd buy a product from that was made by this this yeah. mob. West side of this yard, uh, in the where, where where any other factory or warehouse would have a large car park yeah. and uh, goods loading area, uh, they store their raw products in um, big steel vessels, and on the far west of the that. What would have been a car park were um, the thousand litre IBC stacked. Geez, if you look at the footage, it might be five, six high against the exposures, against the tilt slab walls next door. Some of these, some of these IBCs, granted, were empty, but uh, many of the others were half full, three quarter full, and we were we had no idea what was in them, and obviously impossible to get in and move them. We did at one stage put a ladder platform down that portion of the yard, but it was short-lived because as it, as it backed in to set up, I took a bit more information in, in the yard and made the decision it was too risky, move it out. And if you look at the video footage, you can actually see two tyre tracks of where the, where the ladder platform half set up and was told to bug out well before the fire got hold. As I say, that, that footage is incredible, and I think anyone would look at it and say, you've really got your work cut out for you. Yeah, well, I mean, you might. I mean, I uh, I look at it now and think that there are things we could have done different, not necessarily better, but there are things in hindsight which you do different. I mean, because you're always up against it, and you're always trying to to bite off the next little piece and chew it and swallow it. Whereas we were trying to bite off big chunks, and well, we're trying to contain it, just getting too hard. But anyway, we. The business next door, we saved them. Yeah. Unfortunately, not for Tritech, but it was always going to be the way. In terms of extinguishment, yeah. I imagine you'll be caught. You would have been calling for bulk foam, correct? Yeah. And what were some of the challenges of extinguishing this fire? Well, the cha- with respect to the foam, that would have been perfect. If we had the foam there in that instant that we we got the job, it may have helped. But yeah. the the fire got hold fairly quickly. So, as you can imagine, being the crude oil and all the flammable. Um, additives that were, were into that. It just burnt so hot, so quick. So our challenge was we, we uh, were really up against it, cooling down those vessels that were, were trying to protect because uh, in addition to the next door businesses being our exposures, we still had um, the vessels of crude oil which were on site, which were n- not impacted by the fire, which were... I suppose a higher priority exposure. So we were trying our darnest to call them. So the difficulty in calling them was that the, because the fire in the surrounding area was burning so hot, a lot of water was evaporating before it got to the vessels. So we were struggling to actually get the water onto the vessels to cool them. So if you think about our inability to cool these vessels, how was foam going to work? We couldn't even get the, couldn't get the water to them. So the the call for foam was, I suppose, late in the story. Uh, was uh, when we when we had the fire under control, under control, not out, um, not con- not supposed to contain, but just maybe barely under control. We were able to start cooling those vessels down, and um, we're able to deliver foam to all sectors of the fire ground because I wanted it to hit hit those vessels and hit that fire all at the one time, as opposed to in stages. Yeah. And then, in terms of overhaul, how long did it take from the point of you've extinguished the fire to then having the fire overhauled? Well, that was that was all through the next day and even uh, towards the early evening. Yeah. But there's a lot. There's a few other complications that uh, threw challenges at us until uh, 
prior to then. Well, early on in the piece, uh, as we started to sectorise it, and it was the first time I've ever um, labelled or tagged a, a section as a water sector. So one of my um, colleagues, uh, Luke Patterson, I delegated him the, the endorsement of being my, my water sector commander because the the industrial estate where Tritec resided was, a, I suppose, a, um, a ring road. So the water main was a ring main. So as uh, as one appliance, one appliance tapped into the ring main, so did the second, so did the third, so did the fourth. So it's like being a uh, being in a three bedroom house, someone having a shower, and two people flushing the toilet at the same time. It really uh, has an impact on that end user. So we're I won't say there was a a lack of water, but the water supply was an issue, and uh, in the end, uh, the result was there was a one point two metre dual hose lay from Greens Road all the way down to the industrial estate. So 1.2 kilometre hose lay? 2 kilometres, yeah. Yeah, wow. It's the first time I've ever had two hose layers at, at a job. Yeah. Well, in actual fact, we had we had Melbourne Water there that were fantastic, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw this in now. Establishing an EMT early with all the key players is, is, is very valuable, is crucial. So with Melbourne Water on site, they were down there with with Luke down at Greens Road, and uh, I can recollect he called me on the radio and said, "I've got Melbourne Water here, and they just want to go ahead. They can dig down and tap into a main straight up." And I thought, "Gee, that's a that is a big effort to go to dig down, tap into a main." Um, so a bit of quick local thinking. Uh, we had uh, Viridian, which was the old Pilkington Glass Manufacturing site uh, to the south of where we were. Then in the next um, I suppose, uh, estate across. Luke was just outside of Viridian, so I uh, suggested he go in there, talk to the security guards and uh, enact the power of the CFA Act and say, we're taking your water because they've got a large uh, vessel of water which they use for fire service protection on their site. So we are able to tap into that. So I sent one of the operations officers around to assist Luke in um, uh, convincing the security guard that we're coming in and we're tapping into their, their supply. So in doing that, uh, that solved our water issue, but it was it wasn't a quick resolution. It took took a while to, to establish. I would imagine that you're putting a large, a huge amount of water on this fire. Huge. So this water has all got to go somewhere. Correct. Can I assume that also the Environmental Protection Agency was also forming part of your EMT? They were uh, quite early in the piece. Yep. With uh, respect to the drainage of the site catering for that water it wasn't enough uh, add to the fact that some of these uh, vessels that contained raw product had given way and the product that because it was combustible as opposed to flammable that a lot of the product that wasn't uh, burnt or burning went down the drainage system or flowed down the driveway or flowed into the neighboring neighboring um, premise and flowed down their driveway into the street. We were we were facing thousands of litres of uh, firewater runoff, uh, crude oil and additives running down the street towards the drainage system quite early in the piece. So I think shortly after we solved our water issue, we had, um, it uh, brought to my attention that we were going to face a bit of a um, bit of an environmental issue with this uh, these hazardous water runoff. So the EPA. Melbourne Water, the local council, uh, we all got on board pretty quick and uh, they, they, those support agencies did a fantastic job. Just uh, they threw um, 
they're able to, to valve or gate off the drainage system in the in the industrial estate, and uh, convinced me that we're we were able to not not be too concerned about it because they'll they'll trap all the runoff in the whole estate and um, deal with it the next day. Oh right, so they were actually able to contain it to the estate. To the, yeah, not not so much the no. the estate of Tritech, the actual yeah. industrial estate of of that. I suppose one or two kilometre block. Okay, that is actually something I was not previously aware of. They were actually able to yep. manage it, the draining system like that. Correct. It's like having, a, I suppose, you flooding it, flooding the uh, the guttering of your house and blocking up your stormwater drains and containing it within your stormwater drains. But mm-hmm. obviously, these drains are large diameter. Mm-hmm. They head towards the local uh, waterways and um, and the like, and they're able to trap it in the in the estate. So yet they're able to block off individual drains in order to keep it keep the fire water runoff Correct. to the individual like estate. If you, on, if you lived at the end of Smith Street down the end of the court uh, and down the T intersection end, it's just like putting a valve down there and just uh, blocking all the drains in Smith Street so that all the all the water was contained within that drainage system. Yep. So they're able to do that. So they blocked off the drainage system and look up one if I can uh, reflect. Even uh, well in, well into the job, there there were um, the Melbourne Water had uh, their their contractors out there dealing with that while we we're still firing the fire. So that was all happening at the same time. The other, can I throw another spanner in the works? The other complication was that due to the structural collapse, we had uh, some gas pipelines on the south side of the premise, which. Um, Came direct from Gippsland, feeding uh, BOC gases and Viridian, which was Pilkington. On investigation of what they were, one was hydrogen, one was nitrogen, and one was compressed air, I believe. So, uh, the structural collapse on the south wall um, had an impact on the hyd- hydrogen. No, I think it was hydrogen pipeline. That's a bit of that was a bit of an issue. Mm. You can actually hear if you if you look at the the uh, YouTube footage early in the footage, you can hear a bit of a uh, high pitched sound, which is that hydrogen pipeline uh, leaking as part of the wall fell on it. Right. Okay. So that was a bit of an issue to deal with. Absolutely. So unfortunately for the the glass manufacturer on the, the to the south, uh, we've we had to organise through uh, the uh, gas authority, which were part of our EMT in the very early stages, uh, to find out how that pipeline was fed and how to shut it off. Which I, which I guess this incident demonstrates that firefighters, instant controllers now don't just need to be thinking about managing the fire. Oh. They th- need to be thinking about managing the wider emergency and how that Absolutely. might affect... The, the local community, but also the surrounding yeah, community. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you cannot do any of this on your own. No, you, you as a fire, as a fire service, can't do it on my own. We need to, all the all the key players to be involved because they got the, they got the knowledge, they got the contacts, they got the proficiency to be able to deal with this. And, and it is a, a multi agency, multi support agency deal. Since Black Saturday, community warnings have been yes, really yep. important. So, were community warnings used during this fire? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. I mean, starting as incident controller and then being the operations officer, sure, a lot of these fall under or fell under my responsibility. But 
they're, they're delegated as long as you ensure that they're happening and good proficient people are doing them, they, they were happening because I, I do have my half half an ear on on what was going on and I do uh, you know recollect um, spot weather forecast being requested and coming through uh, that being fed to me as well as um, a couple of our um, uh, administration people from district being recalled at two in the morning to come out and sit in the comms van and uh, and to organize the community warnings and logistics and the like so they all had that happening so Anyone who jumped on either a website or rang up a radio station or, you know, looked at any type of um, social media was able to see not so much exactly what was happening, but, but what was impacting and where, where the, what the smoke plume and, and the like was heading. No matter how well we plan, something is likely to go wrong. Yeah. So were there any particular safety issues you were concerned about during the firefight? Oh, look, in the early stages, there was uh, a lot of misinformation running around, and even misinformation you've got to you have to interpret and and make a judgment call on what whether it is or what it isn't. And and one of the early stages, you know, some way to call it, it was gas seeping from the drainage system. So you can't discount that in the first instance and say it's okay, it's not gas. You have to investigate. Uh, so, so look, there was a call early on that there was gas leaking from the drainage system, and I think even the video footage you can see some type of uh, steam or wall haze emanating from the street drains, and that was perceived to be gas. So rather than discount it, there was some um, action set about to, to make things safe and uh, strategically move appliances out of the immediate area while um, I organised for a a, a team of firefighters in protective gear and atmospheric monitoring to go down and, and sample the product and or what was seeping to just to eliminate that as a as an issue. So, sure, it was a safety measure we took, but you know, but frustratingly, it 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 set us back a couple of steps in in our uh, ability to to reach our objective. And any other safety issues you can think of from the firefight? Oh, just the fact that there was it. It did burn so hot. Uh, there were ex- were explosions. Uh, I had, um, I'll, I'll say, colleagues, team members up in uh, ladder platform and telebeam appliances that uh, I had to check on their welfare and and constantly assess, um, you know, their their safety as things were eventuating. Uh, even after we we contain the fire the the oil and raw product in some of these vessels was still boiling um, um, on, on going down and and you know getting getting a further update on the, on some information and getting a closer look from a safe vantage point I could I could still I could still hear the the, the oil burning in these steel vessels like you're boiling an old billy in a campsite and it was you know still quite uh, still rings true in my years at how much of an issue it was, even though the fire was contained. So, it, you know, it told me then we, we still had hours upon hours of, of cooling to do, of overhaul, before we could leave the, leave the place safely. So, yeah, quite a challenge indeed. And you mentioned that you had a, a mobile command vehicle there. Correct. Sorry, yep. a mobile communications vehicle yes. on scene. Yep. yep, How important do you find it to have a vehicle like that oh, in attendance? Crucial. Crucial. I mean, you, as I said, you can't do anything on your own. To, to, for anyone to think that they could run a major incident by standing on the, the, the curbside with you know two portable radios or or uh, you know a colleague sitting in a, in, a, in an appliance with a um, with a mobile radio and a, and a logbook, they're, they're kidding themselves. You, you need that help. You need those resources. You need the the expertise that you know you might have a portion of them, but but not as proficient as those that um, you know practice 
and and are uh, well versed in you know community warnings, logistics, um, everything. And in terms of managing fatigue of the firefighters, I mean, this fire started around seven eight o'clock at night, and Correct. no doubt you were on scene. You no, know, I think I left at twelve uh, hour period. Thirty nine o'clock the next morning when, we, yeah. when the changeover crew came. Yeah. So yeah. most of my, most of my team were there till eight thirty in the morning, yeah. and there was there were others in, you know, beyond that. So how, how did you manage the fatigue of the firefighters yeah, overnight? Well, quite early, had a staging area set up uh, with with welfare units. Uh, we had uh, the ambulance Victoria on stage with the health monitoring team. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, I didn't mention catering before a catering unit there to to. You know, provide refreshments and the like, and and I was mindful of the fact that uh, we rotate crews. I mean, sure, we didn't have you know crews in internal attack in in breathing apparatus and the like because it was was more of a an external uh, firefight. But there were still you know crews at the back of their pumping appliances in aerial platform appliances, uh, manning um, ground monitors, uh, dragging hose, moving hose, manipulating foam around the. The site, so there was still a lot of work to do. Yeah, but it was a, it was a long effort. Uh, a lot of crews, both staff and volunteers, from the, from the yeah. district. Are there any other particular learnings from the Tritech fire that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, look, all I've developed from then is just look. I've said it before through this this little um, interview that uh, establishing an EMT fairly quickly is valuable, and um, a number of jobs since then have, have formulated it fairly quick. Um, Formulated an EMT fairly rapidly, and it's been valuable. And fortunately, around here, it's it's a, it's a number of the same key players that come to assist. So establishing that that rapport um, with with your um, support agencies is crucial. Um, I'm not talking about going meet them and have a cup of coffee, but uh, look if you can come across them, you know, either via email or, or initial. Um, or a joint training session, uh, that'd be that'd be most valuable. So establishing the EMT, getting that working, knowing what they can do for you, and having a bit of an idea of what you want from them uh, is good. Sectorising, delegating, um, and getting some good proficient assistance is, is valuable. So, Adrian, obviously, I mean, you've been an, a station officer at Dandenong, I'm going to guess, since about 2009, when yeah, you became qualified? Right. Yeah, correct, how do you maintain your skills as a station officer slash incident controller? Where do you go to get your professional development? You know what it uh, it does help being in a busy environment, a busy environment, but not everyone can do that. Uh, I do sit down with my, I suppose, team, crew, colleagues after any not any job because that'd be that'd be ridiculous, but any 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 job where there's some challenge or any yeah. You know, major job and, and we just reflect on how things were done, how we could do things differently, how we could do things, how we can self-improve and not just so much for them, for myself. Um, I try my own part to be as, as composed as I can and I, I, I'd suggest to others that even anything they're facing, if something uh, comes out of left field, to to have that, that look about them that they were expecting it would be is advantageous, even if they're not, because it, it helps compose others. Indeed. If you're the one wearing the instant controller tabard, you've Correct. got to look like you know what you're doing exactly. because people do take their cue from, from you. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, not so much. Yeah, and, and funny enough, I, I do not so much model myself on others, but everywhere I work, and fortunately, fortunately I've, I've been able to, to work in a, 
a whole gamut of environments in this uh, in this career. For anything from from working in a uh, a bushfire, wildfire incident management team, or in the incident control centre out in Far East Gippsland and Northern Victoria, to a, a large structure fire in 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 Dandenong and beyond. You look at some of these characteristics and some of the ways that some of our incident controllers conduct ourselves, not just the CFA or MFB incident controls, but we've got a, a number of incident controllers in um, other agencies, of, you know, um, Vic Parks, Delp and the like, that are professional, composed. And I sit there and I think, geez, that's, they're doing a great job. I'm going to take a, a bit of what they're doing and apply that in my field. So I suppose not so much modelling myself on them, but taking a, poor, a, a piece of what, a lot of different people do, and just trying to mould that into what I think is is the way to conduct yourself as an incident controller. Adrian, before we wrap up, can I ask you how you found participating in emergency medical response work? I mean, you didn't enter the career thinking you would do no, me- no. emergency medical response. That's, that's a different world as well, yeah. Now you're here. How are you coping with that? Uh, look, I'd stop short of saying I enjoy it because no one enjoys uh, going to – to instance where there's there's you know, someone uh, in a priority zero case, like not breathing, not conscious, and the like. However, the person that's made that triple O call screaming for assistance, and they just want someone there to help out. If we get there before AV, which which happens a lot, then we're there to give them a hand. Uh, if we get there with AV, I mean they're under the pump. There's there's maybe two op- two two paramedics. Um, at a job that would require maybe four, five, six of them to 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 work well, uh, to administer drugs, to um, stabilise the patient, and the like. So, the more assistance we can give, the better. Um, because I'm not medically trained, mm-hmm. and our training as incident controllers is more about at the, sizing up the whole incident. Of assume it's a benefit to them. So we, I can go into a, an environment which is maybe quite restrictive and look at it a different way and, and uh, maybe create a better work area. Yes. Uh, maybe make it safer, yeah, removing people from the area. Our HR skills, myself and the, my colleagues, can, can deal with some, some of the what might be perceived to be threats of either bystanders or the like or, or um, locals, associates of the, the misfortunate or the misfortunate cut that out. Though, mm-hmm. You know the person that needs attention, um, so we'll assist with that. And if in a lot of instances we've got their way before AV, and we've just done what we're trying to do, and um, I know breathe for the person and uh, maintain their their heart heartbeat uh, until the paramedics can get there and and hopefully do the same. Yeah, it's a very challenging role, but it's it's where we're heading. It's more than more than just a more than just putting out fires. We now, I think, and I think we've probably always realised this as firefighters, that the type of role we're called on to do is yep. is diverse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. and I think we've got to try and keep reinventing ourselves that we do remain current. Yeah. Um, we remain relevant. Yes. We remain useful. Correct. Yeah. I tend to think we, we just we get just mould in mm. and um, just blend into into the community, but just uh, when we need to, just just step out and step up mm. and do what we have to do. Senior Station Officer Adrian Devonish, thanks for your time. Thank you, Stu. Thank you for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed, go to emergencymanagementpodcast.com. Please also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, 
or however you get your podcasts. You can also write to us at feedback at emergencymanagementpodcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker, and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.